you know, heard that phrase, right? The sanctity of life. And some of us might know how to explain that. It's something that we, I think, know by concept, but can we really articulate what we mean when we talk about the sanctity of life? Well, the sanctity of life speaks of the distinction, the special distinction that we as humans have over all of God's creation. We're, we're set apart. That's what that word sanctify means is to be set apart. So the sanctity of life means that our lives are distinct, unique, and set apart from all of God's other creation. It's that which is sacred even or, or, or holy. And it's sacred because we as humans, like I said, have been created uniquely and differently from any of God's other creation. The Bible declares that right here in the beginning. Genesis chapter one, look at verse 26 and verse 27 with me. It says this, then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So the uniqueness and the distinction of man over all other creation is kind of highlighted right here in these verses. And it's highlighted in three different ways. First of all, we see that humanity is made in the image of God. Now that's a term I'm sure we've all heard, but what does that exactly mean? We'll get to that in a little bit here, all right? But we understand, first of all, that man is made in the image of God. Secondly, we see that they are called to have dominion over all other creation. In other words, that they are to be in charge of, to be over all. So again, humanity has been created with a separation from all other creation. Made in the image of God, we're to have dominion over all. But then thirdly, we see how this is highlighted, man's uniqueness in in verse 27 because we see an interesting repetition of the word created it's used three times there and it's used only two other times in the rest of this chapter in the whole of genesis 1 the whole creation chapter that word create is used only two other times other than in verse 27 it's used in the first verse where it says that in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth it's used in verse 21 when it says there that God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with uh, which the waters abound according to their kind. So create all living things. But now in verse 27, it says that God created man. But now repeats it three times. Created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him or created them. So we see this repetition, this word drawing this kind of uh, a focus to the creation of man done in a, in a very different and distinct way over all of creation. And it's interesting, we see this kind of flow from body, soul to spirit. Body, matter, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, body and matter. And then in verse 21, he created all other living things that were just soulless creatures so speaking of the body then to the soul but then he created man in his image how so was that different well because now there's a spirit placed in them it, it tells us in verse 20 uh, sorry chapter 2 verse 7 that god breathed into adam that breath of life 
He didn't do that with any of his other creation. It's as though he's breathing in this spirit now, separating man from all other creation. It, it moves from body, soul to spirit, the very makeup of man, created in this triune form just as God is Trinity. Francis Schaeffer writes, it's as though God put exclamation points here to indicate that there's something special about the creation of man. And certainly there is something special about the creation of man. God breathing that breath of life in him, God making man in his own image. That's not spoken of regarding any other creation. God had something special in mind for humanity. And that was for them to be created in the image of God where they would walk now in fellowship and communion with the living God. This is something, guys, that I want you to catch and understand. When we talk about being made in the image of God, it means that we now, and, and we can get confused over this expression, thinking, what does that mean? Does it mean that God made us in a way that you know, resembles what God looks like? Does God look like us? Heaven forbid that's kind of not going to be a good thing, is it? But no, it's not meaning that he's made us in his image in the way that he looks because God is a spirit. He doesn't look like you and I. God is so much greater, bigger, vast than, than we are. But the idea that we're being made in, that we're made in his image speaks of how we now have a connection to God. We now have the ability to be in relationship and fellowship with God. This is what makes man separate, distinct, and set apart in his creation. Because now we have the opportunity to be in fellowship with God, to know God, to worship God. That's something that you don't see in other creation. You don't see a dog going to his bowl of food, bowing his head to pray and give thanks before he devours that puppy chow. You just don't see that happen, do you? There's no capacity of that awareness of God or acknowledgement of God. That's something unique with man. It reminds me of the story of an atheist who was out fishing one day when suddenly his boat was attacked by the Loch Ness Monster. In one easy flip, that beast tossed him and his boat up into the air, hundreds of feet up. The monster then opened his jaws wide, ready to receive this man and his boat whole. As the man sailed head over heels and started to fall toward the open jaws of the ferocious beast, he cried out, Oh my God, please help me. Suddenly the scene just froze in midair. As the atheist hung in midair, a booming voice came out of the clouds and said, I thought you didn't believe in me. The man says, God, come on, give me a break here. Seconds ago, I didn't believe in the Loch Ness Monster either. Well, <clears throat> well, said God, now that you are a believer, you must understand that I won't work miracles just to snatch you away from certain death in the jaws of the monster in this predicament you got yourself into, but I can work in the hearts. I can change hearts. So what would you have me do? The man said, God, please have the Loch Ness Monster become a believer in you also. God replied, got it done and so the scene starts in motion again with the atheist falling towards the ravenous jaws of this ferocious beast and the Loch Ness monster folded his claws together and said God thank you for this food you provided for me <laughs> now as funny as it is these sorts of things just don't happen because God's creation is not made and created with that capacity of acknowledging and recognizing and worshiping God. You don't see animals sitting on a hillside together just watching the sunset. They don't have that capacity to appreciate God's beauty and God's goodness and his creation all around us, whereas we are created uniquely, distinctly, and special 
from God's other creation. That's why there's value to life. There's something different about us in the way that God created us. He's made us, or being made in his image sets us apart. I understand that here today. And, and we recognize that God's a, a, a creating God. You go through Genesis 1 and we see all through the chapter that God is a creating God and just creating great beauty and design all around us. And we live in a beautiful part of the world where we get to enjoy the, just the infinite beauty and creation that God has put all around us. But you see, every time now is God being this creating God, every time you see somebody go and, and pick up a guitar and make melody and make a beautiful song out of it, you see the creating capacity that he has. You see all these things forming here in the way that we have, you know, symphonies, paintings, architectural structures. You see how it reveals how we're made in God's image with that capacity of, uh, of creating. You won't see, you know, any kind of animal picking up a guitar and playing a nice song out of it. You're not going to see a monkey recreating the Mona Lisa with a canvas and paintbrush. That's just not <clears throat> going to happen. There's no ability for that. There's a distinction with humanity because we're made in the image of God. Our morality, our sense of right and wrong, our ability to reason, our, our volition, and as we've seen, our spirituality, which is our ability to relate to God, has set you and I apart from all of the creation. That's what being made in the image of God is all about. And we read in Genesis 1.27 again, that in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. That's referencing the idea that the image of God is linked to this male and female togetherness, experiencing relationship with one another. And you see, it's a taste and an example of the union that takes place within the Trinity. The very union that we now have been invited in to partake of and enjoy in fellowship with God. You see, God did not make man because God was lonely, because God was looking for some kind of companionship or fellowship, that God was bored. God existed in perfect community and union with the Trinity from the very beginning. He did not need you, but he's created you so that you could enjoy the blessings of God and see the beauty of God so that you and I could be brought into and experience this wonderful fellowship that's existed from eternity past among the Trinity and that we could come and partake of that and reflect that and experience that ourselves. It's, it's a wonderful, joyous thing that we get to partake of as image bearers of God. So understand that you are of great value today that you're of great value. We're created uniquely by God and for God. And, and don't get me wrong, this is not some kind of self-affirming message here today where I'm trying to say, oh, you are just so special. Oh, you're just so wonderful. You're not wonderful because you're wonderful. You're wonderful because God created you. God's the one that has put infinite worth upon you. It's not because of you, it's because of God. And we give him praise and glory because of that here today. It's interesting that we see, however, what's going on in our world, a, a shift to, and, and it's maybe not an, a, a shift, it's something that's been going on for a long time, but it's really amping up now, it seems, but this devaluing of life. 
where it's looking to put kind of an emphasis upon, you know, decreasing population, decreasing life, divisions come, looking at others without any kind of intrinsic value upon them. We see the overturning of Roe versus Wade, which is a great thing that's happened recently in the States. But with that, it's brought on just a frenzy of pro-choice voices that are, 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 are freaking out over this, liberals that are just in a, in a panic and they're bent on destroying life. And we see that fast-forwarding all the more today, a devaluing of life. And, and it brings up an important question, well, when does life begin? And the question is not so much one to be asked in a sense of, well, does it make it right at any point? Because this is becoming less and less of an abortion apologetic because now you're seeing people looking to promote you know, full-term abortions or even aborting babies even after birth. You're seeing advocates for this kind of thinking and it's sickening. We're seeing euthanasia becoming an accepted practice of, of end of life. It's, it's a devaluing of life that we see happening. So the issue isn't so much trying to determine when life begins, it's simply recognizing that, that all life matters, that all life has worth and value to it because we're made in the image of God. That, that should settle it right there. Amen. There should be no argument over, well, what about this, what about that? No, every person is made in the image of God. Every life matters, even the life of the unborn, especially those made in the image of God. Life begins at the moment of conception. The Bible makes this quite clear. We don't have to go look at science. We don't have to look at, at some other you know, uh, uh, professional in, in some field to determine when this... The Bible spells out for us quite clearly. Jeremiah 1 verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. This is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah, saying, Jeremiah, before you were even born, I knew you. There was an intimate knowledge and, and, and relationship with Jeremiah before he was even formed in the womb. And God had it all lined up for Jeremiah of what his life would be. God didn't have to wait and go, Jeremiah, I got some plans, but I got to make sure, man, I've, I've got the right guy here. I got to maybe wait till you're like at least 12, 13 probably 25 or so, no, maybe 30, to see if you're going to qualify. God goes, I've got it all lined up for you. I've sanctified you. I've ordained you already before you were even born. A wonderful passage of scripture that relates to this even more so is found in Psalm 139, verse 13. You look in your Bibles with me or you can look on the screen, but Psalm 139 is a fabulous passage and one that we took some time to really emphasize this past week at, at VBS, and it says this, starting in verse 13. <clears throat> For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. So understand from the psalm here, guys, and from Jeremiah 1.5 we saw already, right from conception, God is busy putting every piece of the human anatomy together. 
God is at work in you before you even breathe a breath on your own. That little fetus is protected in a sack that keeps that growing life protected and comforted. David recognized that the Lord had formed everything together and that he was covered in his mother's womb. And that word for covered is the word literally woven. It's as though God is knitting together every part of you, every piece and component that's going to make up that human anatomy that's going to cause you to be able to breathe, function, pump blood through your veins. Everything God is, is involved, knitting it all together. It's amazing to see what God has done. Even before we were born or spoke our first word, God knew us intimately and lovingly. And David, I love it because David is saying, oh, you formed my inward parts. You cover me in my, in my mother's womb. And he just has to stop in verse 14 and kind of pray. It's like, I can't go any further. I just got to praise you, God. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. David just has to stop and respond to the greatness of God when he recognizes his fingerprints all over our very lives. And he says there, and I love it, he recognizes I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Now we hear that and we go, what, what exactly is that speaking of fearfully and wonderfully made? Is that, uh, how are we fear? Is, is it God that's kind of making us fearfully going, I don't know how this is gonna turn out, man. These guys can really have a mind of their own. I don't know what this is gonna be like. Is this God fearfully? No, it's the idea that David's saying our, our lives are meant to be lived in just kind of awe and reverence. We're, we're made to to showcase kind of the awe and the beauty of God. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Not for you, not to showcase you, but to showcase God and to reflect the Lord in these things. We're indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. It's all attributed to God. We're creating the image of God. I trust that we comprehend that ourselves here today. Because many, many today are going to struggle with this. They struggle with who they are. They struggle with the way that they've been created. They're not comfortable in their skin. Kids are being conditioned to think that maybe they were born the wrong way. And they can simply just change themselves. They can change their identity, their, their gender. They can take an operation and make themselves something different. This is all an affront to God. As though they're saying, God, you must have made a mistake with me. And, and kids are being conditioned to think this way, that maybe you aren't the way that you were created. It's a direct attack to what God shows us in his word, that even before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't do anything wrong. Now, I understand there may be things that you want to change, but don't complain over the way that God has made you. Rejoice. You're his. He has formed you. He's knitted you all together perfectly. You are God's work of art. Celebrate that. Again, don't celebrate how wonderful you are. Celebrate how wonderful God is in creating you. That's what we're called to do here. May you know in your very soul that God has done an amazing work in making you. There was a video I showed a number of years ago. I'm gonna show it again here today. It's of Alexander Sears, an associate professor of medicine and chief of 
scientific visual, visualization at Yale. And they put together this in, incredible scanning technology where they were able to uh, scan the development of the fetus from conception to birth. And they put this together and they were amazed at just kind of what they saw. So let's watch this video here. One of the opportunities I had was um, uh, one person was working on a really interesting kind of micromagnetic resonance imaging machine with the NIH. And what we were going to do is scan uh, a new project on the development of the fetus from conception to birth using these kinds of new technologies. So I wrote uh, the algorithms in code and he was building, he built the hardware. Paul Lauterbro uh, then went on to win the Nobel Prize for inventing the MRI. I get the data. And uh, I'm gonna show you a sample of that piece from conception to birth. It's amazing to see how these people are looking at this going, it, it is amazing what they've discovered, and yet it's exactly what God's word has said 
millennia before they've discovered the intricacies of these things. God lays it out right here in his word that he's the one that's created all things. Even before this child takes form in the womb, God is at work here. And uh, it's awesome to see. And, and I don't know if this Alexander Sears was a, a believer when he did this. If he's a believer now, I'm not sure. But listen to what he says about just the wonder of new life and the things that they saw as they began to uh, do this scanning. The magic of the mechanisms inside each genetic structure saying exactly where that nerve cell should go. The complexity of these, the mathematical models on how these things are indeed done are beyond human comprehension. Even though I am a mathematician, I look at this with a marvel of how do these instruction sets not make these mistakes as they build what is us. It's a mystery, it's magic, it's divinity. <laughs> Love it. He says, it's a, it's a mystery, it's magic, it's divinity. Well, he got one of the three right, at least. <clears throat> it's exactly right. It's, it's completely God. They, they are almost like dumbfounded. How does this work? He's a mathematician going, I can't understand how this all comes together. And there's only one, one answer. Is it all points to God. God is at work. He's at work in creating each and every one of us uniquely and distinctly. And not just unique from all other of his other creations, but among humanity. Do you know that there is not another you? Could you, like, I mean, imagine that. I'm not a very creative person at all myself. I couldn't imagine being, being tasked with the job of having to create over billions and billions of people and every single one of them be unique that's what god has done there's not the same you anywhere every single person he's created is created with a uniqueness just to themselves alone it's amazing i can't get over it it's awesome but the things that god has has done again are our very our very bodies the way that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made all points to just the, the incredibleness of our God, the, the intricate way that our bodies operate. There's no other explanation for those things to be other than a designer and a creator. It, it's just, I, I think people are starting to realize like, you know, what we've been fed for decades and decades with evolution and we came from you know the goo to the zoo to you is like preposterous that how can that be it all points to a designer philip harrelson uh in a matter of the heart says this just consider the power of your heart it averages beating about 80 times a minute and the average cardiac output is about six liters of blood every minute the next time you're in Walmart, go to the aisle where the two-liter drinks are and consider that every minute your heart is pumping enough blood to fill up three of those plastic two-liter bottles. In one hour, your heart has filled 180 bottles. In 24 hours, your heart has filled 4,320 of those two-liter bottles. In one week, which is 168 hours, your heart has filled 30,240 of those two-liter bottles. That's pretty amazing stuff. We're indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's just, you know, there's so much more that you can get into with the functionality and operation 
of our, of our bodies. It all points to a God who has created you. You see, we've been created with purpose, on purpose, and for a purpose. I hope that as we've looked at this psalm, you're beginning to realize all the more that you're not an accident, my friends. You are loved, you are cherished, you're invested into, and you've been created on purpose and for purpose. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 makes that pretty clear. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You've been created for good works. I'm so glad that God isn't just, you know, popping out kids and sort of losing track. He's intimately acquainted with each of us. He cares about us and is leading us along to fulfill and carry out his purposes for each and every one of you that are, again, very unique and distinct for all of us. And it's in fulfilling his purposes in our lives that we gain the greatest joy in this life. You see, understand something. Your lives don't exist for you. God didn't make you so that you could just go and do what you want and enjoy life. Oh, you can do that, but I'm going to tell you this. You're not going to enjoy life. You're going to find life to be a real misery if you are thinking that it is all about you. If your life is revolving around what you think you need to be happy and content, it's not going to happen that way. When we live, however, for the very purpose by which we've been created for, and that is to live for God and for the glory of God, it's there that you're going to find yourself in the most joyous, contented life. Because you're carrying out the very thing that you were created for. You following me, everybody? You with me? There's no greater way to live life than to say, God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, but I'm fearfully and wonderfully made for you. Made in the image of God to represent you. And that's where this really gets practical for us. Because when you look at what an image is all about, an image is meant to portray, reveal, and represent something or someone. That's what an image does. In the same way, we being the image of God are meant to represent him here on this earth. Not live to your satisfaction, but live to the praise and glory of God and represent Him. In the way that we are living and conducting ourselves, we are to be revealing the very nature and the heart of God. See, in the Ten Commandments, we see that the, the second and the third commandment is reflecting this. First of all, it says we're, we're to make no carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. Why? Because we're to be that image of God. Have no other image before you. And it says also that we're not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Why? Because this misrepresents the Lord. I think we oftentimes can think that, you know, taking the name of the Lord in vain is to use the name of the Lord loosely or to use it as a swear word. But to take the name of the Lord may very well have a much deeper truth to it here. In the priestly prayer of Numbers chapter 6 and in verse 27... It says, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I'll bless them. Children of Israel were to bear the name of the Lord upon them. They were to be that representative of God here on the earth. So to take the name of the Lord in vain then means more so to misrepresent the Lord. See, God's purpose is for us to be bearers of who God is so that people will come to know that he indeed is the only true God. He's the very maker creator of your life and your life is meant to be lived for him 
to represent him. When we fail to represent and bear his name properly, then we're missing what we are to be doing. We're missing what God has created us to be. And that's all tied, I believe, to being made in his image. We're to be bearing the very image of God, making him known, being a reflection of him in this world. You know, when any king would come in and conquer a new place, they would put up an image of that king or a statue of the king. Why? To say, this is my place. This is where I rule. In the same way, we're to be in this world living out these images of God, being image bearers of God to say, it's God that rules. It's God that reigns. He reigns in my life. And it's only as he reigns in the lives of others that people are going to find the very blessing and joy and purpose for which they've been created. The heart of image is making visible God's character, both in word and deed. Now, did the, the fall of man, did that kind of destroy this image of God that were to be? Well, no, but it definitely kind of disrupted it. Sin has marred it. But the story of the Bible now is God redeeming humanity and restoring that image in them. Romans 8, 29 says that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So when we're saved, God comes and he makes us new. As Colossians 3, 10 says, and I've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So when we're saved, God's purpose is to Again, conform us to the image of his son. And again, just as we are part, in part a trinity made up of body, soul, and spirit, as we mentioned earlier, we see the restoration that God is doing in each area. J.M. Boyce says this, the glory of the gospel is seen at precisely this point. For when God saves a person, he saves the whole person, beginning with the spirit, continuing with the soul, and finishing with the body. The salvation of the spirit comes first, for God first establishes contact with the one who has rebelled against him. This is regeneration, the, the new birth. Second, God works with the soul, renewing it after the image of the perfect man, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the work of sanctification, making us more like Jesus. Finally, there's the resurrection in which even the body is redeemed from destruction. That's why Paul would say, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you recognize here today the great value that your life holds because God has designed you, created you, fearfully, wonderfully made. You're made in the image of God but that image now has been restored through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ who came to renew you so that you can continue on to live not following a fallen sinful world, but following Jesus Christ who has saved you and redeemed you so we can continue to be image bearers of God. May you recognize how valued your life is before God. And how your life has been created on purpose and for purpose to glorify him. May we do that here today, church. Let's pray. Worship team, would you come? Lord, we thank you for this word here today. God, for the reminder 
of the sanctity of life. God, may we not get a big head and think that we're so wonderful and valuable. Lord, may we simply praise you because you are wonderful. And you've created us, Lord, to be in fellowship and relationship with you. That's what brings value to our lives. And so may we see that here today. And while everybody has their eyes closed, I want to give an opportunity for anybody here this morning that hasn't understood these things before, hasn't understood that God has created you and he loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you. The reality is, though, that sin has come in and all of us have been guilty of sin and it separated us from God. We need restoration. We need forgiveness. We need salvation. That's why Jesus came to this world was to die and pay the penalty for your sin, to be that sacrifice. But he died and he rose again defeating death and sin and securing life and eternal life for us. We can only be right with God through coming to Jesus, admitting our sin, but asking him for his forgiveness and now placing our life in his. If you are here today and you've not done that, whether you're watching online, you're in the overflow room, I want you to have that opportunity here this morning to be right with God. And all you need to do is simply say, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner and I'm in need of saving. I want to be right with God. I want to have new life. I want to have that life in Jesus and the promise of eternal life that when I die, I know I'll spend eternity with God in heaven. If you're here today and you need that, I ask that you to simply pray that prayer of forgiveness and asking Jesus to become your Lord and Savior. And if you prayed that today, would you come and Talk to me after the service. If you're watching online, email us because we want to be in touch with you and, and help you out and send some material to you to encourage you along the way. So Lord, we thank you, God. Would you just continue to draw people to you and help us to be image bearers of you, representing you in this world, seeing many more come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray in your name, amen.